Well, West Virginia fans, you want excitement? I think you have it. You want a winner? I'm not sure. We're going to see what happens on the field this coming season when there is pressure on Neil Brown. I'm Mike Oste, and this will be an episode of Mike Drop here on our network in which we will kind of touch on the state of the West Virginia football program, which has been going on this offseason, and also kind of give our thoughts to how Neil Brown has done to this point because you do have a premier player in Mesador leave the program and kind of drag it through the mud while doing so you have another player come aboard who's now going to be your starting quarterback and adds that excitement to the backyard brawl and JT Daniels a former top recruit who's done it major conference ball at USC in Georgia and then you have a solid recruiting class but maybe a polarizing one. And you still get a mixed bag of opinions on what people think record-wise this team is going to do and left young at some spots and maybe better at other spots, but certainly it's up in the air to what's going to happen. We're going to try to make some sense of it right now. Logan Carney of our Sports Now Network will join me for this conversation. And Logan, first off, we got to talk about the wild weekend that West Virginia just had. And we're recording this just a few days after West Virginia sees a myriad of players commit to WVU and even some controversy with one choosing to leave after just coming aboard. So I haven't yet even played at West Virginia and how that maybe shakes things up. So right now, taking all of this into consideration, especially with what just happened this past weekend, what letter grade would you give Neil Brown in terms of his work this offseason, taking it all into consideration to give us that right off the top? Um, I mean, thinking about it, you'd, it'd have to be probably a C plus, maybe B minus, depending okay. on how J- and if depending on if JT Daniels can stay healthy. That's the big X factor. Yeah. Um, as I'm sure we'll get into later. Um, but I mean, it, it, it's tough not to. It, it's tough not to ignore the amount of that they lost. Now I know a lot of them were not impact guys. Um, you know, outside of Mesador, that may actually may not have been an impact guy that left. Um, but it's, it's you're still losing a lot of guys that were developing your system. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is that replacing guys that leave, replacing, you know, grad transfers, replacing, right. um, I don't know why I said grad transfers, I meant graduates or transfers. Um, it's a lot easier when you to replace those guys with people that were developed already have spent a year or two learning your system. Yeah. Um, they know the culture of the program. They have relationships with the teammates, with your teammates. Then it is to bring in JUCOs and transfers and expect a whole new unit um, to just thrown together and be ready for week one which this year unfortunately for West Virginia is you know one of their toughest games on the entire schedule the renewed backyard brawl with Pitt um so for that reason I lean more towards C plus because I think the offseason it's it's it should it's 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 heavily about what's going on this upcoming season yeah. Um, because this upcoming season is the make or break year for Neil Brown. You know, I, I give the class of 2023 at this point a B plus, maybe even an A minus, um, because it's turning out to be a very, you know, a very deep, very deep class. And that's what I think stands out about it, is that it's very deep. 
Um, there's which again you know, is kind of surprising off of the situation for the program because Neil Brown's career is in doubt. They haven't really been winning. You're barely getting in a mediocre bowl game, six and seven last year, losing a mediocre bowl game, and yet able to churn the future of the program and recruits and even Nico at quarterback, who's going to take a couple years before he plays, but that was a top recruit. That was a big coup for West Virginia that many didn't expect to happen. Maybe. So Neil Brown is doing recruiting work for the future. It's just, can he do enough to get to that future? <laughs> yeah. And that, that's the thing. Like, that's why I don't, that's why it's tough for me to say more than C plus because you know, how important is that 2023 class for Neil Brown? Because yeah. who knows if Neil Brown will be there for that 2023 class. If he didn't do a good enough job bringing in, um, if he didn't do a good enough job scouting and recruiting JUCOs and the transfers that he brought in to field a competitive team in 2022, um, that 2023 class is irrelevant to him because he's not going to be around to see it. Probably. Um, and, and, and again, I heard from others that maybe he would be, and I know that him and Shane Lyons are in lockstep with each other. So maybe he'll still be around. I know there's a lot of rope that he has. It's nothing like I know that it's a guarantee he wouldn't be, be there if he doesn't get to a win total. It's just my, what I would think should happen, but you do talk about the recruiting class. So there is also a possibility that maybe, and we've heard this from people that even if they win only five games or less, maybe he could sell Shane Lyons on one more year because of that recruiting class. So he maybe and, could, that could help him stay because of what he has coming up. Yeah. And I think that's important because, you know, the way that West Virginia is as a program, um, it is, you know, a regional power um, and it's similar. It should recruit and build the similar way as similar size programs like Pitt, it's rival Pitt, um, Iowa state, in yep. Cincinnati, the most recent examples, but you can even go back to how Virginia Tech found success doing it this way um, in terms of getting those recruiting classes that are heavy on three-star recruits that fall around in the 30s of the rankings um, and having developing those guys and just by the, and replacing them when they're juniors and seniors. And that way you have experience. Um, you have experience with high ceiling, uh, low uh, high floor guys, right. high floor guys right. um, coming in and replacing and filling in these roles that you already know um, how good they are and they already know the system. Um, and, you know, and that starts with this year being six and six, and that continues into the off season with retaining the guys that he just brought in. If they have another mass exodus, like they have every year on Daniel Brown, you know, obviously on a whole different level this year, but they yeah. have had it every year. Um, then it's it's they're never going to regardless of what recruiting classes he brings in they're going to stay around six and six because you need to develop your guys you need to retain your guys and those guys need to take steps up um, for a program like West Virginia you know they're not there's only so many programs that can bring in five stars yeah repeatedly <laughs> you know there's 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 probably only you know in my opinion there may be ten only 10 true national powers in all of college football. And even that might be to a stretch. Yeah. Maybe because, not even that know, many. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who knows if like I consider Texas a national power because they're Texas, they are, they are. but they haven't put up the records of a national power in, you know, a decade. So, you know, it's, it's, it's in terms of West Virginia, they need to constantly develop guys and replace the guys that they develop like the, like the previous schools we mentioned, the Pitts, the Cincinnati's, the Iowa States, the Virginia right. Techs have done. Um, and that starts with 
putting together a decent season this year and retaining those guys and adding them to um, or adding the class of 2023, which may not make an immediate impact, but they're a class that because of how deep they are, because of the the high floor of all of their recruits. I mean, there's only one non three-star recruits and his dad, um, his dad was a walk-on at West Virginia that ended up being an All-American. So I have right. I think there's right. reason to have high hopes on the, the lone guy right. that wasn't a three-star recruit. <laughs> um, there's, you know, you bring that in and in one or two years, I mean, you have this past year's class, which was 35th in the country. This uh, class of 2023, which will, you know, it's looking like it's going to finish um, somewhere, you know, in the low 30s, maybe high 20s um, around around there, which is really, really good for, you know, the years that they've had. Um, and those guys, when they're juniors and seniors, you have potentially, a, you know, a 10 win football team and 10 wins is good enough to win a conference, a power five conference. And it's good enough to put you in talks for a college football playoff berth. Now, I'm not going to say that they're going to win a national title in four years, but if they get to 10 wins, there's there, they will, they just because they have 10 wins, there right. will be talks of a college football playoff. So it starts with, it starts with a decent season this year. And then it continues with retaining these guys and developing these guys and yeah. making sure that when they're juniors and seniors, they're still playing for your football team. Yeah. And that's the, that's kind of the hope certainly that you eventually get there and the rival pit they're going to meet in the backyard brawl pitches had their best season 50 years. And they had that special year that you're kind of talking about where even at the end of the year with how good Pitt got with Kenny Pickett and company, everyone knew Pitt wasn't going to get in the playoff. That was pretty much decided once they had that really bad loss early on in the season, but Pitt was able to win enough in admittedly a down year for the conference a little bit because Clemson who had been a five, six year run dynasty was not nearly what they used to be, but Pitt took advantage of a down year for the conference with Clemson, not being who they were able to get some quality wins. They had a bad loss, but able to get enough wins in there. And yeah, they weren't going to really get in the playoff, but they got a major bowl appearance and, Pickett didn't play and they didn't win, but who knows maybe if you would have or what would have happened. So that's kind of the season that West Virginia wants to get to. That's where you want to be. And that's where Pitt ended up having last year. And who knows about this season? So that's the plan. Neil Brown feels like, you know, it feels like Neil Brown's still a long ways away, but bringing in a guy like JT Daniels does kind of stabilize things, does add some excitement and does give some reason to maybe even have a debate or even talk about anything near a B or an A for this off season that I don't think would exist without JT Daniels. That's such an X factor to this. If you have Mesador leave and he, he throws the program through the mud and, and just talks about badly about WBU and then you have other players leave and you have holes at key positions and yeah, you might have a great recruiting class for the future, but this year is going to be rough again. What are you excited about on the field? And you're looking at a C or below, if not a D or below JT Daniels being there, Graham Harrell being there with him and that, that continuity and that chemistry offensively. That could give you something that's at least reason for excitement. A lot of West Virginia's recruits and even what you're bringing up and certainly the influx of five players over a weekend and then, you know, Nico even, you have some high level, high recruits like Nico maybe at quarterback that some were even excited to see maybe this year. That's not going to happen because of JT Daniels, but he certainly is going to be a big part of the future of the program no matter what as long as he does stay there, as you're talking about with Neil Brown, because Neil Brown and him certainly have that relationship. And he did bring him aboard from 
the other side of the country. So there was no personal connection there, but mostly three stars. So it's mostly a situation that if West Virginia getting a three-star recruit, that's considered good and it should be considered good. And I think the other end of this is that maybe I feel like it's not being focused on enough. Neil Brown, as you said, is putting together a B plus a minus type situation in recruiting class for 2023 and getting commits from kids who are three stars or above where the program's not really sitting pretty. This is a program that's six and seven mediocre bowl game year prior. Okay. Cause the COVID year, but not really impressing anybody, even though they had the solid, you know, bowl win over army years prior to that, it was just nothing where Neil Brown had to cry in a press conference at the end of the year and, and claim he was definitely going to bring it back to glory. It's certainly been a couple years since then. And then obviously the cover being bare that first year, I know a lot of, of a lot of our colleagues like to call that Neil Brown first year is year zero because of Dana Holgerson's exit. But as you mentioned, you can call it year zero, whatever, whatever, if you want to, but it, it did count. The record counted, it occurred, it's year one. So now going into, you know, four years deep here, going into year four and then year five to get into that recruiting class, it is a little surprising for him to be able to do this while recruiting despite the record not being there, I believe 17, 18 overall. So nothing to be excited about really. And then having a player like Mesador leave the program and not in any way speak highly of the program, of the environment, of anything going on there. You wouldn't think that that would occur. And then the months to follow would lead three plus star recruits to decide to come to West Virginia because they're on Twitter. They see what's going on. They might be wondering the team's not winning, but Hey, maybe they want to be part of things changing. Logan Carney of our sports now network, Mike Oste, we are talking the off season of Neil Brown and the West Virginia football program. And I think I'm with you a little bit on the B plus situation in terms of the recruiting class, maybe a minus there. And it kind of surprised me based on Neil Brown's seasons that he, that he's just had and the records that he put up, but my only pushback, I guess, for this offseason is maybe to float more of a B just for the fact that JT Daniels, to me, can be a game changer and also allows that excitement to exist that otherwise wasn't going to be there. I think most West Virginia fans would agree with me that if Jared Deggy was your quarterback for the backyard brawl, if Garrett Green was your quarterback for the backyard brawl, as much as everyone's excited for Nico for the future, if he was your quarterback for the backyard brawl as a true freshman, it would hard to even really get pumped up for the environment and for the game. Cause yeah, you're excited for the rivalry, but you would go from being a, a touchdown underdog or a two score underdog to potentially losing by 20 or 30 and not even wanting to watch. So that adds excitement to this team that otherwise didn't exist. And that is a potential big deal for an offensive coach that has not yet had success offensively. Yeah. And I mean, we looked, what was interesting is we just um, we did an article on him lately, I forget exactly where it was a preview. It was, it was a preview article on some of the previews this season. I forget exactly, exactly which one, but they broke down his, you know, his offensive numbers prior to West Virginia too when he was the head coach. When he was the head coach, yeah, Tulane you know, or Tulsa at Troy. Uh, you mean Leo Brown? He was he oh, came from Troy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, why I, I, I thought you meant also those T schools always, always <laughs> same difference, but yeah, at that level. But he came from Troy where he was an offensive genius. They're throwing points up, he's winning bowl games, and then in West Virginia, they can't score outside of against that lower level competition like LIU. They can put up points, but not even against Kansas, not even against Texas Tech. 
Right. Oh, the, the off, so he came up as an offensive guru before he took the head coaching job. At right. Look at his offensive numbers while he was the head coach at Detroit. They did not have a good offense under him, um, but they had a good defense. And <laughs> so he came up as an offensive guru, you know, as an offensive coordinator there. Um, yeah. Wide receivers coach. Prior to Troy, you name escaped me. Um, but he came up as his offensive guru, went to Troy, the head coach of Troy, but it was the defense that was successful. So it's not like this is a weird thing that has only that, that happened immediately in West Virginia. And that's why it's kind of surprising. And that's why I don't think it's, I mean, it's, it's surprising for him in terms of his overall career. Right. But I think we should stop viewing him as. An offensive coach, <laughs> because since he's been head coach, it's been his defense that has been very good. It was his defense that led to those ten win seasons at Troy, and it was his offenses that you know have held back um, since West Virginia's even had season two success. Um, but yeah, going back to Daniel's point, the overall point. I mean, JT Daniels, you know, very well um, could save the offseason uh, in terms of this upcoming year yeah if you pluck him out then yeah it's a c or d off season right if you pluck him out it's it's really tough to have any faith on yeah especially with the loss of dixon earlier um because that running back room now is very bare on experience um most most carries being mathis has had 90 carries his whole career uh guys with experience clearly on that whole in that whole running back room yeah defensive line you know getting them entirely back i know that they struggled last year as a unit uh, but there are obviously good players on the line and anytime you can pull offensive line regardless of you know if they struggled last year or not uh but here under the belt of playing together you know it's it's it, it could, it's very well it's probably going to be top five um, offensive line, at least in the Big Ten. Um, it should very well be a strength of this team. Um, and if there was, and honestly, if there was one, you know, I'm a big believer in the, the winning, the, the team that wins in the trenches on either side of the ball is the team that wins the game nine times out of ten. Um, so the fact that they return their offensive line, um, I'm, I think is, is – a lot more significant than a lot of people may give it credit to. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it will be an interesting season. I mean, Daniels is the offense is going to have to go through Daniels because um, there is no running back room, but you know, there's always the worry if he could stay healthy. Um, he wasn't able to stay healthy at USC. He wasn't able to stay healthy at Georgia. Um, and you know, if, if he, doesn't get help if he gets hurt and he misses significant time at West Virginia. Um, I mean, who is there really to hold on, who hold down the fort when they go down, when they go through what is really a really tough schedule um, that they have for them? Yeah. To say the very least again, Logan Carney of our sports now network, it's going to maybe be easy early on, except for the backyard brawl, but the schedule does beef up later on and it can be a brutal schedule, especially if West Virginia does the same thing they've been doing in recent years and struggles with Texas tech and those kind of similar programs. So you never know. It's not going to be easy for Neil Brown, but he does have that excitement level that can be there to maybe JT Daniels being that savior because Garrett green last year, 
Neil Brown clearly wasn't excited. He would just kind of give you that impression, even in press conferences when asked about it. Garrett Green would mostly get running plays. They barely would even design plays for him to pass when he was in there. They let Jared Dagey have tons of rope. Maybe it was for the personal relationship. Some started criticizing Neil Brown saying, you know, I know you mentored him when he was 12, but you're letting him linger on and, and maybe hurt the team. And it was up and down for Jared Dagey. He's gone. And that does count as a player leaving your program, but also with a sensible mind. That was almost going to happen. That wasn't him leaving West Virginia. That was, we need to better this position and you're going to go have to find a situation elsewhere to continue your college career if you want to. So that that was part of that. But yeah, Garrett Green, whoever else, Nico again is a true freshman. It's Jay, This team is going to sink or swim by JT Daniels, 100%. If JT Daniels can pick it up, and be near what he was supposed to be, then this team could certainly climb. Let's put it that way. They can finally climb because that's been the moniker and they've been going up a little bit and then kind of following and being a neutral, they can climb. If not, then it'll be a problem. But I think one thing that needs mentioned here, because we're talking about Neil Brown as an offensive mind and being called an offensive guru, and I do agree that he kind of lost that. When you look at even the success of Troy and then you look now, they're putting up points over LIU, but not really anybody else. He's not an offensive guru anymore. And the defense at West Virginia actually has been better than the offense. Even at West Virginia, two years ago, the defense was was, was doing really well the first few weeks of the season after the Vic Koenig controversy. And even last year, the offense has let the defense down, not the other way around. So that's been even weird during the Neil Brown era. But Graham Harold is also now aboard as offensive coordinator that is a personal relationship and a working relationship he has as a connection with JT Daniels, that could be big. It almost feels like, Logan, that Neil Brown finally agreed with us and is like, okay, I was a great mind years ago as an offensive guru, but now I'm going to have to take the humble pie and let somebody else handle this offense a little bit and kind of give the keys up because my job is on the line. And Graham Harrell is not there to just sit down and have Neil Brown call every play and run the offense and have Graham be a figurehead. This is a young offensive mind that has connection with the quarterback that you just brought in who only has a couple years max. So this might actually be the Graham Harrell show offensively, honestly, more than actually Neil Brown. And then that's big because, you know, the only full season that Daniels has had was under, was under Graham Harrell. So um, Harrell, so it's, it's, a big that connection I don't think can be understated. I mean, it's not just bringing in a new offensive coordinator, bringing in yeah. one that knows that knows um, how the most the important player on your entire team um, is success can be successful. Um, now, you know, I still can't look past the fact that they're you know kind of having to throw a, almost a whole team together. Um, by week by week one yeah um, and you know nine times out of ten regardless of the talent involved that always ends up you know at least rough in the early part of the season um, the good news is the early part of the schedule outside of that pick game um, is pretty easy you know um, I mean they got you know Virginia Tech's mixed in there but Virginia Tech, that's a rivalry game on the road, but they're not, they're not. And they just, they just beat Virginia Tech too. So they, yeah, they beat them last year and they're not right. supposed to, I mean, they just hired a new coach as, um, as well. They're, they're not supposed to be right. anything special this year. They got, um, I believe Kansas is in that early in game two and they have their FCS game as well. They, I mean, even if they get 
blown out by Pitt, which is a possibility. I'm not going to predict that's happening on this show right now, but that <laughs> is a very realistic possibility. Could happen. They can still start three and one. <laughs> I mean, with with the fact that they got three easy games after that, and that's that's good for them because you know the beginning of the season when you're putting a whole new team together, you know it's it's going to be rough. Um, but if they can get things figured out um, after after week four, after that easy part of the schedule, before they get into the tough conference part of the schedule, there's no reason why the team can't finish, you know, six or six, seven, five, you know, right. maybe even eight and four, if they can steal a couple of wins, maybe Texas isn't actually back. Um, like everyone thinks that they are. I feel like that's every full year. Yeah, back. Yeah, back with the with the hand quotes. Texas is not back until they prove it on the field. And one of the weirdest things about West Virginia entering the Big 12, Logan, and obviously Texas is going to leave in West Virginia's future. Who knows if they'll stay in this new Big 12 or or what will happen. But they've been very competitive and even have big wins over Texas. So it's not like – I mean, West Virginia has played very well with Texas. Not Certainly not Oklahoma. They can't beat the Sooners. But they played very well with Texas. So – is Texas back? You just don't know. If West Virginia beats Texas, are you going to be shell-shocked? No. <laughs> We've seen it before, and West Virginia wasn't good when that happened. And, it was that, and, and you've, you've seen Texas kind of do the whole we're back and then not be back. And then you're looking at Baylor. You're looking at Texas Tech. These are programs that West Virginia maybe won't be favoring those games, but certainly West Virginia could maybe beat. I'm not predicting eight-plus wins here, but as you put it, Neil Brown, I think there's also pressure not only on this year to at least get to maybe six wins and solidify a bowl game and do it earlier in the season. I think that's also key, that West Virginia can't be fighting for a mediocre bowl game that no one cares about the last week of the season. And you got to be able to take care of business in this early portion of the year. You, say you lose the pit game, even if it's close. Say you make it a, a seven or ten point game because it is a rivalry and, and maybe Pitt gets caught up in it, Pitt has certainly been upset before even though they had their best season in 50 years last year you just don't know West Virginia I think we all can agree here they gotta they gotta be two and one at the worst going in that Virginia Tech game Kansas yeah. and Towson have to be victories and I also think and it doesn't matter but Neil Brown's resume at West Virginia has been a little bit of okay beating those low-level teams not beating enough of the teams that are equal to you and losing to the teams that are better than you but the Virginia Tech win, that's the biggest win he's had, I guess, arguably, unless you say Kansas State a couple of years ago. They barely got through that game with a victory, and then Virginia Tech ended up being exposed as not that good. Neil Brown needs to throw up some points. He needs to, you know, impress. Even if you lose to Pitt, West Virginia needs to dominate Kansas. They need to dominate Towson and at least show there's a separation between those programs and West Virginia, even if they're not where they want to be in conference play. But even one going into Tech makes tons of sense they could be two and one you, and then you mentioned you, tech you can be two. in year four you shouldn't be scraping by with a one score um win over kansas you right. know i mean kansas is kansas football right. um and I, I everybody even kansas fans agree is probably the most prophetic most pathetic power five sports program yeah. out there i mean i don't know if there's a worse in any of the in any of the major sports I don't know if there's a worse power five program out there than Kansas football. Um, I mean, right know, now, that is, that yeah, is a team that yeah, you can't, yeah. well, even in history, I mean, it's not like they have this powerhouse 
You know, no, no, they had that one random Orange Bowl year. They had that one random Orange Bowl year, yeah. but no, hundred percent Kansas football, yeah. right? Yeah. This, but th- I mean, we're talking. Th- this is. I agree to the extent it's year four. Now the expectations, the general consensus. I mean, we were talking before, you know, we looked, I mean, I just got the magazine today for Athlon sports has West Virginia at seven and five. Um, Probably the highest win total, at least that I I know I have seen of them in the preseason by a national outlet. Um, And, but the general expectations around this team is, is, on average about five wins um five maybe you know six wins mostly around five wins we've seen some we've seen a decent bit of fours as well but it's so you know around five and a half i guess right where their vegas line is um i agree that you know just meeting expectations is probably not going to be it's not going to cut it in year four when expectations are that low um this is a year where he has to where neil brown has to exceed expectations even if it's only by one game or one, yeah. one win or two wins i mean i'm not saying this is this guy has to go out and win go eight and four sure. you know with with a with the with the you know finishing in the top 25 or some decent you know, bull game or anything like that but six and six you know a bull game you know possibly not winning that bull game finishing seven and six Finishing seven and five, maybe you win the bowl game, go eight with an eight win team there, eight and five. That's something that you should see. And that's something that, you know, it really makes this offseason look a lot better uh, because he would have done that with a team that he basically all brought in through JUCOs and transfers. Um, and it's also holds a lot, you know, going in when if you have a year, you know, if, if they, if they go, if they go, let's say they go six and six and win the bowl game, finish seven and six, um, they don't lose 20 guys to the transfer portal again. <laughs> um, all of a sudden, you got a really good class coming in. Now, granted, with them being mostly three stars, they're not going to make an immediate impact. I mean, Gallagher probably will, um, but most of them there probably won't. But you know, they had, they, it's not like they had a bad class this past, in the 2022, it's not like this year's class is bad. I mean, it was 35th, I believe, in 247 sports. Again, to reference back to Athlon, they have it as the fourth best in the conference behind Texas, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State. Yeah, and the, their you historic get them power. in year two. Right, I mean, yeah, if you, you're, out of, the, out of those programs who's currently in the Big 12, and obviously that's going to change. Texas and Oklahoma are historic powerhouses forever. Oklahoma State is maybe historically equal to West Virginia, but they have certainly done a better job recently and usually do a better job recruiting-wise, and they have a coach who's been there forever. So to be fourth to them, that's not bad, if that is what you feel. But, yeah, that, that's a, that, so that's a yeah. positive situation there. In terms it, of that. There's no reason that this program can't, you know, succeed the same way that Pitt has succeeded recently that Cincinnati has found success and that Iowa state has found success in, and that is taking these 30, these, these classes that are ranked in the 30 to 40 range um, because they're mostly three stars and developing those guys. So that by the time that they're juniors and seniors, instead of replacing somebody who may have graduated or transferred out with a Juco or a transfer like Neil Brown had to do this year. Yeah. You're replacing a guy that has been developed 
with your playbook, with your style, um, somebody that is fully committed to the program because he sat two years on the bench. And that's, you know, that's, 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 there's no reason West Virginia can't succeed that way. But in order to do that, it starts with this year by, by winning at least six games, at least six games, which is not that tall of an order, but it's, it's, you know, it's better than what's being expected. Um, no, because it's a weird scenario. Painting the guys. Yeah, you have a weird scenario where, and I get it, and you brought it up, all those players that have transferred out, Messador leaving, etc. But to go to four wins would be a real drop off. Even the la- last year and the year before that, certainly last year, really six and seven, you lose the bowl game, you lose the guaranteed rate bowl game. What you think of that? It has been called one of the worst seasons West Virginia football has had in the past two decades. The year prior, they do win a bowl game, and it was mixed up because of the truncated COVID year. But if you go from that to where that was so criticized with Jared Deggie to a better quarterback, I don't think anyone out there thinks JT Daniels is not better than Jared Deggie. You have a better quarterback situation now to then all of a sudden win only four games and drop off even further. That would be a problem. You still have stills there. You still have Dante stills defensively. So there are still some players. I think one of the major issues though, obviously, and we talked about this earlier is running back is offensive line. Are they going to protect him enough? Is that going to improve? And then can Tony Mathis Jr. actually step it up and be that guy? Only 90 carries, played the bowl game, but is he going to be able to be that guy? And he now is that guy because Dixon is no longer aboard with the program. Player that was at Clemson, Dabo Sweeney called immature, came over to West Virginia and now is no longer aboard as well. And you mentioned we mentioned Mesador leaving the program earlier in the offseason and then talking about the environment in Morgantown and the football program and maybe leaving for brighter lights, but also didn't have glowing things to say about his time. So knowing what the records have been and that it has been a rough patch for Neil Brown to kind of kick off his time at West Virginia head coach, and that he's not going to have forever to do this and does need to quickly turn this around. How much blame do you put on Neil Brown in particular for the mass exodus of players from West Virginia as well. Players have come, players have gone, recruits are there. You mentioned the 2023 recruiting class can possibly be an A recruiting class despite what's going on right now. But a player like Messador and company to leave and even have critical things to say, is that on Neil Brown? Even if maybe it's not 100% on him fairly, you just got to put the stain on him because of what's been going on with the program or is maybe it just weird scenarios that are coincidences that maybe it's not Neil Brown's fault since he's also proven he can get top level guys to come aboard like JT Daniels, despite what others have said while leaving the program. Well, I mean, when it's, when you've just finished year three, the team is mostly guys that you have brought in, especially when, you know, as he's had to bring in so many transfers, because this is not like, this is, it's not like this year is the only year they've lost a lot of transfers. They've lost more than any other power five school since the transfer portal has been a thing. So it's, it's not like this is some abnormal year where, you know, where we can, we cannot look at it as, as the norm, you know, unfortunately it has, you know, during the Neil Brown tenure um, has become the norm. Um, now I can't sit here and say like, oh, this guy, you know, treats his players badly and that's why they're leaving. And, right. you know, because I honestly don't know. I don't no, know. And we're not, we don't hear that. Yeah, from anybody and, and, either, and Neil but... Brown seems like a nice guy. So he I'm is. not going to, I'm not going right. to sit there right. and make a lie like that up about him. Well, but, well I'm glad. I'm glad you're not going to yeah. make up a lie. No, Neil Brown, from what I've heard, 
is a very nice guy. A lot of media, a lot of my colleagues, I've been around him, a lot of players, former players, they all talk that he's a very nice guy. And one thing that I brought up numerous times before, but it is a factual thing. And I told you actually when you were over my house and, and, and off the record, I'll say it now. The second he got there, he called up former players that were weirdly not welcome at the program from the previous regime. Mike Logan told me this to my face on one of our shows here. Pat, Pat McAfee was open and he talked about it on his show, which obviously has national pool, that he didn't feel welcome at the program for the previous five plus years, which that got to blow your mind to think that you're a program, <laughs> a power five program. You're trying to get back to glory. You have Pat McAfee, who is one of the most recognizable people in media now from what he's doing and certainly was an NFL punter and you don't welcome him there he doesn't feel welcome you have Mike Logan who's won a Super Bowl that will play with the Steelers <laughs> that is living in an, you know in a city an hour away from you that wants to go to games and you don't make him feel welcome and, and other athletes as well that that were West Virginia greats that, that he didn't really make feel welcome apparently in terms of Dana Holgerson and Neil Brown made them feel welcome and open up those doors and you see player retirements, you see Jersey retirements, you see things like that. And that's all because of Neil Brown. So he doesn't says the right thing. Just the results haven't been there and it's a yeah, results-based business. So that's the problem. Yeah. And to, to go back to the transfers, my biggest, uh, one of my biggest annoyances is the defense that, this is the new norm is the common argument that this is what it's like in the transfer portal and, and the NIL era. Um, and yes, more players are leaving every school um, because of this. But again, to go back, not as many players at any other power five school have left West Virginia. So while I don't know why it's a problem, it is a West Virginia problem. Um, and it's not like they don't have an NIL thing set up like other schools. They do with the Country Roads Trust. Um, it's, it's not like, um, I mean, like even like just thinking about the reasoning, I can't think of why it is affecting West Virginia more. It just is. And, you know, at, at some point when it's been three years, um, and you're entering your fourth season and it's still affecting you more yeah. than it is every other program in every other power five program out there, at least, or especially even the more than your conference. Um, it is, it is your problem and you do deserve some of the blame, you know, now is that unfair because we can't, you know, think of the reason as to why they are leaving to an extent. Yes. You know, we can't think of, I can make you know. up, I can tell you the reason that some fans would give, by the way, just knowing the program, they're going to say that eventually this was going to be a problem with West Virginia in the Big 12. That's going to be an opinion out there that because geographically speaking, it's, it's a lot of travel. You're, you're, you don't really have a rivalry. They are on TV, but not all the time. That, that's going to be a thing that was brought up even when they joined the Big 12, and they had to go. There was no other opportunities, and if they didn't join the Big 12, they would have been a lower-level program to where they are now. Being in the Big 12 was not the problem, but that's going to be an opinion that's out and, there. That, that, that's, that, and that's, they are in the wrong conference. I mean, they are. We all know that. It's, right. They're in, in – you know, what's, what's worse for West Virginia is who even knows if the Big 12 is going to be considered a power conference once Texas and Oklahoma leave. Because those are 
really the only national program, the only true national sure. powerhouses yeah. in that conference. Yeah, and there were some uh, people that didn't even like West Virginia being in the Big 12 when those programs were in the conference, yeah. just for the fact that you don't have a traditional rival. And I know, because I did, I did shows where I was talking and previewing every single game and talking with the other media, and they always would talk about, they love the environment, they understood the history, they're happy West Virginia's there. But man, that has to be hard for West Virginia to have to travel so much further than every other program to play games because geographically speaking, they're not with where every other program and, is. And that's why culture makes sense, maybe. I love and and it's it's been kind of you know, I mean, we all we we both interact with a lot of West Virginia fans on Twitter, and it's been very disappointing to see how many are so quick to shoot down Cincinnati as uh, what could very well be a great rivalry for West Virginia in the big 12, because not only are they close, I mean, yeah, they're not really traditional rivals. They aren't. I mean, they were in the big East, you know, for a bit, but you know, they're both, you know, we, I've covered recruiting for them this year. They're both stealing each other's recruits. (laughs) They're recruiting the same guys. Uh, You know, Cincinnati flipped one of West Virginia's recruits, the cornerback, get the name off the top of my head, but earlier this year, not too long ago, um, Cincinnati, you know, they were just in the college football playoff. So they're, you know, they obviously have lost a lot from that. They're not going to make the playoff again this year, but they're still going to be a top 25 team this year. And they're likely to be, as long as Luke Fickle doesn't bolt from there, they're likely to be a top 25 team when they do join the big 12. Um, so you got a good rival too. This isn't like you're just throwing some, some bad team. There's, in, you know, a yeah, lot you, of those if you beat them, it can mean issues something. can be fixed. Right. It, it yeah, can be a solid win. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. You got, you, you have in, in a year or two, if you get excited about Cincinnati, you have the makings of what can be a very good rivalry. You know, West Virginia is the, the, the historic regional power with, you know, the, obviously everyone talks about, you know, some of the most wins all time. Um, and you got Cincinnati who is, you know, the up and coming power. Um, they're not far from each other at all. They recruit from the same players. They build their teams the same way through getting those threes and the occasional fours and having them commit to the program. Um, you know, having Cincinnati in the big 12 is a huge, huge boost for West Virginia and fans should be really excited about what could be a very great rivalry, especially to extent that, you know, West Virginia now has to use up all their non-conference games, scheduling their historic rivals, you know, Virginia Tech, Pitt, they got, you know, Penn State. I don't know if I'd actually consider them a rivalry. I know some people do, but they got Penn State coming soon. They had Maryland, you know, last year, you know, if you have to keep doing that with non-conference games and it's great, I love it. I'm not trying to knock the scheduling (laughs) those games but they only get three games in the non-conference. Um, they're limiting what they can do. Right. You know, some of the reasons why, you know, to, to again, I to go back to the rivalry pit. A big reason why Pitt has become successful is because they started playing games. You know, they played UCF in Florida. Um, and now they schedule UCF before UCF won a national championship when UCF was still an 0-12 team. Oh, I don't put quotations marks. I'm fully supportive of them. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, I, put, I, I love put it. Quotes. I okay. love it. 
Okay. I, I think I, I was on I was on a bullseye in some bars in, in, in Orlando, I think, back 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 in those days. But I but, get uh, what you're saying. And and there are some that maybe scheduling wise for West Virginia, because they've had big games where they've scheduled. They they scheduled Alabama even years ago, Florida State, Tennessee, Tennessee's well, a it's also about also getting it. put on the schedule. But some could argue that West Virginia was scheduling games where they were too tough. They were big games. They were national TV, but they had no chance in winning. But then Tennessee is a game that they certainly could win. That that's a, a major historic. So to my point, now they're still done. they're still doing that because right. I'm, I mean, they're they're yeah. Obviously, you know, I mean, Pitt's supposed to be really good this year, but they're obviously not Alabama. Um, Virginia Tech's obviously down, and who knows if they're even going to be bowl eligible this year. But there's still two out of three games that are Power Five for your non-conference games. So they're facing 11 power five teams this year Yeah. Um, in, in their regular season schedule. That is really rare. <laughs> and there's a reason teams don't do that. There's a reason Penn State, you know, for example, schedules two cupcakes with their non-conference game. They do. Um, you know, everyone likes to criticize how Alabama has a random group of five team or FCS school towards right. the end of their season every single year. Right. But there's a reason they do that is because you have to give your team a breather. And yeah, and, and when you have, I've always offended Alabama too in that regard. They play Mercer most of the time, and yeah, they're going to win by forty-five. But when you have a brutal schedule in your conference, and you know you're going to be facing ranked teams in your conference, you have enough of them on the schedule. You don't need to just make it impossible for yourself. Why do so? Again, we're talking about UCF winning the national championship with an asterisk, and Cincinnati getting in the playoff. Those teams didn't play seven ranked teams throughout a season. They didn't play six or seven or eight or nine or 11 power five teams in a season. Okay. UCF that year you mentioned, I think it was two or three ranked teams the whole year and two of them were Memphis and yeah, they won and they were dominating, but yeah, West Virginia is playing nine, 10 power five teams. And that might be annoying for West Virginia fan to say, well, if UCF would have played that many power five teams, they wouldn't have went undefeated. Cincinnati wouldn't be in the playoff, but West Virginia could maybe be smarter with the schedule as well. Cause there is, there is a such thing in college football as scheduling games that are, and and having a schedule that's too tough. That's unnecessary for yourself. And Alabama doesn't do it. They had a cupcake in there despite all the ranked games they have. So West Virginia certainly could do the same thing. So Logan, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to pause there and probably reset this again in a few weeks because West Virginia's recruiting has certainly been that roller coaster ride where it's been players leaving, players coming, and recruiting classes that actually have some prestige and maybe give you some reason for hope for the future. But Neil Brown has to make sure he's there. And I think that that piece of excitement that I cannot, I cannot say this enough. If JT Daniels was not included, I don't know how much excitement would exist in the back of ball despite putting a rivalry back together. Obviously, people would be excited. But in terms of a competitiveness and actually West Virginia fans feeling that they could win, that probably wouldn't exist in all reality. So this adds an extra tinge of excitement by having JT Daniels. That is a big deal. But of course, there are holes on this team still for this coming season. We mentioned it running back and certainly spots defensively in O-line. And then who knows about the future. But Neil Brown's done some work in maybe the most important offseason of his career, really. And he had to, but he did. And we will now see if the program actually does climb. Because again, look up any definition you want. In order to climb, you have to go up. So they went from dropping to going up 
to then in neutral and maybe dropping off a little bit and no longer climbing. And it's almost like they're on a mountain here after two years ago and winning a bowl game where you have a, you have a climber and you see rocks starting to fall and someone's foot is losing footing and you're like, Oh, they're going to fall off the mountain and it's going to all mm-hmm. be, that's kind of the situation right now with West Virginia football. Like the, uh, like from, yeah. um, from, uh, what's the, uh, what's, what's the game the, the morning with Drew Carey? The, the the mountain climber. Oh, oh wow! Uh, <laughs> Are you talking about the prices right now? Isn't yeah, it? Isn't the mountain. The mountain uh, okay, climber, I, have, I haven't watched months. that in a while to know where you're going. Like, Two months, you fall right off. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly that's exactly the situation West Virginia football is in right now. And Neil Brown maybe could have saved the day by bringing in JT Daniels, but a lot more is needed as well. Graham Harrell being there, so that'll be it for right now. But again, stay tuned to WV Sports now for more of our coverage as well as subscribing here to this channel. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.